to the folk. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G thing, baby. Too low death maker, so we're crazy. Death Row is the label that pays, man. Unfatable, so please don't try to And we back. It's become quite a common theme for me and my cousin Harry to say we back. Because when we do his podcast, we're never consistent, so we're always back after a break. What's up, homies? I'm Brandon, and you're listening to Life in Paradise Podcast. Or, as I used to be known, Brandon Hopper. I'll have to tell you the story about that one day. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and a regular life, and I got tons of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. And even if we don't agree, we can still be friends. I think that's part of the problem in the world today is that people have forgotten how to disagree without being disagreeable. If there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. And I give it everything I got to do the intro in one shot. Sometimes I rhyme, but I'm never on time. I'm just kidding. I make things up when I don't know what to say. Hopefully you know that by now. Anyway, I appreciate you tuning in. Life in Paradise podcast, it's a show all about nothing except my opinions. So hopefully you can learn something. I would love some feedback. Hit me up, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. I, I use that email address like because it's the easiest one to say. You know, whenever I made email addresses way back in the day-day, you know, you never think about, what's my email address going to be like to read to someone? You know, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago. So not only that, but it's like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to pick the email address crazyharper42069, and that'll be funny. And then when you graduate from college, you're like, oh, man, that probably wasn't the best email address to pick, but I'll stick it on my resume anyway. I'm already rambling, and it's still the intro. Sit back, relax, and give me the spotlight for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Gotta give them what they want. What's that, G? We gotta break them off something. Hell yeah. And it's gotta be bumping. City of confidence. Where it takes place. So we'll gnash your attention. Mobbing like a motherfucker, but I ain't lynching. Dropping the funky shit that's making a sucker niggas mumble. When I'm on the mic, it's like a cookie. They all crumble. Try to get close, and your ass will get smacked. My motherfucking homie, doggy dog, has got my back. Never What's up, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast i got a few things to talk about today today is sunday september 5th 2021 it's about 955 degrees outside which when september gets here i want it to be cool i don't want it to stay summer you know it's funny i when it's when the winter ends it starts ending i'm ready for the winter to end sometimes i wish it would end a little bit later but either way, I'm typically ready for it to get warm and to be back in the summertime. But when the summertime comes, I want it to end about three months before <laughs> before it actually does down here in South Texas. So most of the world, when it's September, well, most of the Northern Hemisphere, I should say, when September hits, it starts cooling off. It's fall. Leaves start changing. Not here in South Texas. The grass gets so burnt, it turns brown. The trees go dormant. And it doesn't really get cool until about mid-November. Mid, mid, mid to late October, you'll get a couple cool fronts here and there. Basically, our fall here in South Texas is running around trying to figure out when the next cold front's going to hit. Because it never really stays cold. If I ever move out of Texas, I will move somewhere with four seasons. Because I, I really appreciate them. I get burnt out I'm just being hot all the time. I mean, my little house, it was built, I think it was probably built in the 50s. And it can hardly keep the AC below like 81 throughout the day. The AC just runs all day, so I have to turn it up to 81, 82. Otherwise, it just runs trying to cool the house off, and it doesn't work. So my electric bill's been running about $500 a month. Brutal. Brutal. And part of that's because the void tech's living in a little apartment. We've got refrigerators running everywhere. I'm not ashamed to say I burn electricity. I mean, I pay for it. I can burn it. Buy your heart in the environment. But, but I'm buying it. It's for sale, so... I'm not really hurting the... I, this idea that we shouldn't do things because other people think we shouldn't because they think it's hurting the environment. Like these people that bark orders about not being able to use electricity. I don't know if you remember when Obama was president. He had a speech 
where he was talking about, we, you know, just because we have the means to, to drive around in our SUVs doesn't mean we should. And just because we have the means to keep our house on, on 72, that doesn't mean we should do it. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, oh yeah, you who gets flown around in a giant jet everywhere and rides around in limousines and has walls around your house, you don't, you don't practice what you preach, buddy. Ugh, couldn't stand that guy. One of the worst presidents I think we've ever had. It's my opinion. You don't have to agree. I'm going to get into politics later. You know that. But first, I'm going to talk a little bit about crypto. Cryptocurrency. Um, I know I talk about a lot in the price and the movement and as an investment tool, but I want to talk a little bit about what, what the crypto nerds we call a use case. So basically, there's everyone that runs around saying, yeah, but what do the coins do? What, they're just an asset bubble of nothing just waiting to explode, and they mean nothing, and they're good for nothing, and everything's overvalued. So I'm going to explain today what an NFT is, which stands for non-fungible token. And I may or may not have touched on this before. I don't know. If I have, you've probably forgotten it or you weren't listening or you didn't really understand it. So I'm going to go through it possibly again, possibly for the first time. If I was a true podcaster, I would keep track of these things and make sure not to repeat them, but I'm not. I'm just amateur. <laughs> I thought the other day, I wonder how, I wonder if I could actually grow this thing. So I went and I look, I'm like, okay, I'm getting like 40 downloads a day. And then I go, I was watching a YouTube video and this guy was like, thanks guys, seven years and I'm at 10,000 subscribers. And I was just like, oh my goodness, there's so much content out there. It's so hard to, to actually grow something now. Once you grow through your circle of friends and family, getting outside that, that's the tricky part. Same thing holds true in the multi-level marketing pyramids, Amway and that kind of thing. Everyone does really good at first, hard to break outside your bubble. So let's talk about non-fungible tokens. I know it sounds like a weird name and doesn't probably make sense to many people, but it what it is, is like um, it's creating something that can't be duplicated. So like the, let's just say Bitcoin, for instance, is fungible. It doesn't matter which Bitcoin you have. It's just like dollar bills. You can have one with this serial number, one with that serial number. They both perform the same purpose. They do the same thing. They just have different serial numbers. So an NFT, non-fungible token, is a digital crypto asset. So the first things that these they started making with these were well, they call them NFTs, but they're little pieces of art, digital art that someone created on their computer. And then it's been stamped in a way uh, and stored on the blockchain so that we can go, we can find it, we can figure out what wallet it's in. We don't necessarily know who owns that wallet. We can find where it is and we can prove who owns it. And so you can have a copy of it, but that's not the same as actu actually owning the original. And, and, and I know it's kind of hard for people to grasp because they're like, well, I mean, I could just like, pull it up or take a screenshot and look at it. Yeah, sure, you could. You could also have an original Picasso and a copy of a Picasso. One of them's worth who knows how much, the other one is worth nothing. So it's the same thing, to, you know, but having the original item is valuable. And so this, the, the whole cryptocurrency blockchain space allows us to do that. So we can take things, we can put them on the blockchain and Think of the blockchain as just a giant computer server or a network that can be accessed from anywhere. And so people can create things, store them on the blockchain, and it can be any type of data. It can be music. It can be movies. It can be real estate information. It can be a title. It can be a deed, be the title of a vehicle. So anything that we need to prove ownership or maintain control of or, or limit possession, we can do it in the form of an NFT. Just stay with me here. Stay with me. I'm going to give an example. Let's just say there's a musician out there that creates music and he wants to distribute it to his fans, but he doesn't have money to pay a record label and he can't really go into like a professional studio and all these things that cost money for him to do, he can get by without them these days. But what's hard is to limit the, the reproduction of, of their art or their music. So what the future holds is the ability for these artists to produce a song, give it basically its own serial number, Make it where you can't really duplicate the, the work. I mean, you would have to do it. I mean, digitally, you could copy it while it's playing, but it would be hard to host that and spread it and, and, and disseminate that versus the way the artist can do it. So they create the NFT. So let's just say that there's a song. They play the song. They record the song. And let's just say that they want 10,000 copies of the song floating around. So what they would do was they would create an, an NFT for each copy of that song. So he records a song one time, but he gives 10,000 songs, 10,000 different, basically serial numbers. And so these go what's into what's called a, a smart contract. And it's, 
a smart contract is just a series of if then statements that get applied to what, whatever it is, whatever underlying object or asset that it's tied to. So let's go back to the, the music example. So the artist creates his song. He releases 10,000 copies. He puts them out there for people to buy. The market gets to say what the songs are worth. He can try to start with a price, but it's like a big auction. People will bid the price up if they really want it, or the price will go down if no one wants it. So let's just say that he has 10,000 songs. Everyone, there's enough desire for, let's just say the songs all sell for $5 a piece on day one. Now there's presumably 10,000 people who each have that one song. Each song has its own serial number. They can now sell that song to someone else. They can hold on to it. They can speculate that the artist will become big and famous and the price of their music, will, the, the value of their music will come up because remember, it's limited, limited production. And um, so you can now buy and sell that, that musician's work and you can even program the smart contract, which is, is a series of instructions that tell the blockchain what to do when something happens. So th they can program it to do whenever this song changes hands from one person to another, X percentage of that sales price goes back to the original creator. And all this can be done without any sort of scam or, or manipulation because of how secure these blockchains are. And so that creates a whole new universe. It allows people to distribute their music and still make profits without a record label, without a manager, without some expensive production place. I mean, people now can, can record music in their own home and they, the, the equipment's gotten so good where... No, you can't really tell the difference. I mean, the audio file can. If you have some really good equipment, you can tell. But between the average home recording and the average studio recording, these days, it's not that hard to get real close. So the way that it works right now is the average musician, they create music, it goes out there, it gets sold. By the time the money makes it back to the artist, they're doing good to get 15 or 20% of the total sales, and that's before taxes. How do I know this? Because I just do. So think about how much more the artist will make now. Even if they do have to go to a studio and they want the top recording quality and they go to the studio and they record the music, they're in control of it. You know, the whole premise behind these blockchains and this technology is that the creators maintain control of things. You maintain control of your money. You don't have to go deposit it into a bank where they're lending it and they're borrowing it and you don't really know what they're doing with it. I mean, you can't really store, if you have $500,000, you really can't store it in your house. Well, it wouldn't be wise to, or it wouldn't be smart to, to keep it where something could happen to it or it could burn down. But that's the beauty of the blockchain is that you control it, you store it, you can move it, you can spend it, you can do whatever you want to without the approval of the bank. And more importantly, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't get to manipulate the price of money and how it moves and all that stuff. But if I walked into the bank right now, and let's just say I had a million and a half dollars in there, and I say, I'm going to withdraw a million dollars cash, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. I don't think the bank has a million dollars cash on hand. And I would imagine there would be all kinds of crazy paperwork of them wanting to know why I wanted to take a million dollars out. Well, that's my money. I don't have to tell you why I'm taking a million dollars out. Who are you to ask me why I'm taking my money out and what I'm doing with it? And things got bad after 9-11, whenever they passed the Homeland Security Act. And just like all other bills, they slid in a bunch of stuff in this bill to give the government more control than what they had under the guise of trying to protect humanity. And so they said, well, you know, we, have to, uh, we have to know what's going on and, and where the money moves. Otherwise, money can be funding terrorism. And, and, and if we don't know that, they could cause great harm to us. And you know what? There's probably a little bit of truth to that. But I would be willing to bet there hasn't been much terrorism stopped because we know how money's moving. Especially whenever they can use Bitcoin and no one can catch them. So there's that. So that, that's just one example of uh, NFT. You can apply the same example to a vehicle. Let's just say that I go buy a car from someone and, and the title or the, the serial number of that car is registered to John Smith. Here's his address. And when he's ready to sell that car, he just transfers the title to me. The NFT goes to me. Now it's sitting on my blockchain account and I have the ability to, to buy it or sell it or whatever. And, and that we can have it set up with a smart contract where that information goes automatically with the state the registration transfers to my name. They get the address. Here's the wallet address of where that token is stored. And this is the new owner of the car. They can even have a program to where the taxes get sucked out. So if I say, hey, I'm going to buy this car from this guy for this amount of money, then the smart contract automatically knows 
that the car is changing hands. You program the laws of the state into it, and it can say, okay, you need to say you need to pay this much, and this amount's going to go to the state to cover your registration, your taxes, and this amount's going to go to the seller. All that can be programmed in there. No more going to the DMV, dealing with the mad ladies behind the counter. Multiple trips. Who, who in their lifetime has ever completed a task their first try every time they went to the DMV or the tax assessor? No one. Everyone I know, everyone you know, everyone they know has had at least one experience where they have to go back multiple times. And this would eliminate that. But what about uh, the jobs of the ladies who work at the DMV? Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, but we don't stop technology from moving because we try to salvage jobs. If we did that, we would still be driving around horses and buggies because we wouldn't want to put the buggy makers out of business. So we progress with technology. People will find other jobs. We don't stop technology in order to salvage workers and their wages. That's what Cuba does, not the U.S. So there's two big examples on how an NFT works. So I have a whole bunch more. I'm not going to keep going through them. You get the idea. Just think about how easy it would be and how nice it would be. No more registration of, of houses, of cars, of real estate. You know, no more going to the closing table. No more waiting for escrow. No more of all the problems that we run into buying a house. No more waiting to the last minute to get a HUD statement. Everything can be done, transacted. You push a couple of buttons, the house is in the new owner's name. You don't have to go register your homestead exemption. It all can just happen. So th this, this is the way things are going. It will be happen at some point. I don't know how long it will take to get there. It's implementing a whole new protocol for the way things work. So it's going to be slow growth. The technology is moving extremely fast right now. The adoption will start happening, but we don't know how that's going to go, how long it's going to take. Once we can prove the efficiency of it, and we have security and people buy into it, it will probably go fast. As of right now, blockchain and crypto is, is moving, I think, twice as fast as what the internet did from 93 to 2003. The curve going up is twice as steep. So we don't know what's going to happen. It's all speculation at this point. I feel good about it. I'm going to keep talking about it because I like it. I spend tons of time learning about it. And so instead of you having to go learn about it, you just come to me. I'll tell you what I find out. Boom. Speaking of immigration, I, uh, I had a realization not too long ago about how the political parties are shifting. And and I, it's no secret that as time goes on, we, the whole spectrum moves farther to the left, right? If you rewind time to the 50s and 60s, no one cussed on TV. There, were, there was no gore in movies. There was uh, People weren't even sleeping in the same bed on sitcoms. So liberalism, things like that, that's progress the way that... And I don't mean like progressive. I mean like as time progresses forward, we, we tend to shift to the left. So... I think it's interesting because the left or the liberal party used to used to tout freedom, no government interference. They didn't trust the government. They just wanted to be left alone. And now it's like it's rulemaking, it's structure, it's you cannot do this, you cannot do this, we have to do that, we have to make laws. Compared to back in the day when the liberal party was like, no, we want to be free. We don't want your laws. We don't need control. We just want to do our thing. That, that was the whole hippie movement. They were considered left. They were liberals. They were free, free thinkers. And now it's the opposite. We have the right saying, guys, just leave us alone. We don't need any more laws. We don't want to do this. We don't have to participate in all these regulations that cost time and money and energy. So the left is always shifting to the left, and the right is dug in with their heels, I think, of like a tug-of-war. And they're just holding still. The left's pulling, trying to move everything to the left. The right's just sitting there, trying to be trees. They're not necessarily aiming to push things further to the right. They're just trying to keep them from going to the left. So all that to say this. There was a congresswoman uh, named Barbara Jordan. She was uh, from Houston in the 70s and maybe even into the 80s. So she was the predecessor to Sheila Jackson Lee, who, if you know me, you, you know how I feel about old She-Jack. She's a terrible woman. She's been voted the worst congressperson to work for, like, multiple years running. She will, like, scream and bitch her way into to getting, you know... I, I remember one time she griped someone out of a first-class seat on a plane because she wanted to sit in first class. And that was racist that she didn't get a first-class seat. So the person like just said, look, whatever, take the seat. I'll go sit and coach, even though I paid full price for this. 
You know, the airline had overbooked it, oversold first class, upgraded someone. And from what I understand, she went in there, raised such a big stink that a person who paid full fare for the seat ended up moving just so the plane could take off. Do your own research. Maybe that's all a lie. I, I believe it because I listen to what this woman says year after year. So before she Jack, there was Barbara Jordan. Barbara Jordan was a black woman and she was a Democrat. But there was a Democrat party that, of a different time. So I'm going to play a little three-minute clip. Uh, she gave some wonderful speeches. A couple of them were at the Democratic National Convention in 76, and think maybe even 72. But anyway, she, she, was, uh, she was big on immigration reform. She thought that uh, we, we needed to be very careful with, with allowing people to come into this country illegally, and we needed to have reform to manage them coming in here. And so it's, it's quite a cry, different from how we are today. And I have firsthand knowledge of a family who came from Nicaragua on a bus, was driven from Nicaragua all the way to the U.S.-Mexico border, crossed into the border on the bus, got off the bus, proceeded to load onto a border patrol bus, got bus to a facility where they spent 13 days, then got a free plane ticket to anywhere they wanted in the country. They were given the plane ticket, they were flown there, and then their next court date, they'll go back to court in Miami, and they'll receive papers so that they can work. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. This is happening now. I know, I know the guy. I talked to him on the phone. He's a friend of Voitex. And that's, that's what's happening. So people who say, the border's not open. It's not really open. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is right now. It kind of is. So I'm by no means against immigration. I do think we need to know who's coming in this country. And I do think that it's a privilege to come here. So we should pick and choose who we let in. We can't let everyone in. So let's pick the best of the best to let in, right? Is, is there something wrong with that? If you hire people and you own a business, you don't hire the people you feel sorry for. You hire the people that are going to best fit with your business. I don't understand why that's any different. Regardless, here's Barbara Jordan's speech. It's about three minutes long. We recognize that there are costs as well as benefits to legal immigration. And some of the costs are associated with the impact of immigrants on localities to which they migrate in disproportionately large numbers. You know that you can look at a map of the country and identify where there's a concentration of immigrants. When immigrants are less well-educated and less skilled, they may pose economic hardships for the most vulnerable of Americans particularly those who are unemployed or underemployed. Immigrants sometimes utilize public service services disproportionately, as in the case of elderly immigrants. What the Commission is concerned about are the unskilled workers in our society in an age in which unskilled workers have far too few opportunities open to them and to which welfare reform will require thousands to find more jobs, and the Commission sees no justification to the continued entry of unskilled foreign workers unless the rationale for their admission otherwise serves a significant national interest, as does the admission of nuclear family members and refugees. Under the Commission's recommendations, then, professionals with at least a baccalaureate degree and skilled, experienced workers would qualify. We have come to firm conclusions, however, on one aspect of the uh, temporary worker policy. The Commission believes that a large-scale agricultural guest worker program, sometimes referred to as a revisiting of the Bracero Agreement, is not in our national interest. We unanimously and strongly believe that such a program would be a grievous mistake. I urge private industry, churches, community groups, volunteer groups, individuals to redouble their efforts to provide English language instruction and civics education to immigrants. I remind immigrants that they too have a responsibility. They have responsibility to embrace the common core of American civic culture, civic values, and institutions. And there you have it. You never would uh, assume that that was coming from a Democrat, would you? 
Yeah, Barbara Jordan is my all-time favorite Democrat politician. And, you know, she she didn't she wasn't a victim. She didn't she didn't ask for oversight. She didn't ask for forgiveness. She didn't ask to she didn't want exceptions. She didn't want rules to be bent. She didn't want people to automatically receive some sort of handout because of the color of their skin. She wanted everyone to be treated equally. And that's that's a huge difference between her and her successor, Sheila Jackson Lee. So here's a little clip of She-Jack. Um, it's not too long. I don't know, a minute or so. But listen to, listen to her tone of voice and the anger. And she's mad. And it's always someone's fault. And she's a victim. And she needs help. And she can't do it alone. And she's mad. And then she compares herself to Barbara Jordan, who says, nope. I'm equal. I'm like you people. I will work with you. We'll work together. You're no further above me. You're no further below me. We're all the same. And Sheila is being a victim. This is what I can't stand. These people want unity. They want equality. But the speeches that Sheila Jackson Lee gives are so divisive. They're all about we and us. And what can we do to protect ourselves from their laws? I mean, she's trying to say that the Texas voting laws are the worst in the country. All of a sudden, we didn't change anything. We've had the same voting laws for 50 years. You can have one of seven different ID forms to vote. If you can't figure out how to get one ID out of seven options, are you going to be able to make an informed decision about who should be leading the country? Regardless of what your skin color is, I don't care how much money you make. If you're not smart enough or you don't have the ability to sort out how to get an ID then you shouldn't vote. And, and why are we even considering letting people vote without IDs and not helping them figure out how to get IDs? That should be the solution. Hey, let's just figure out how to get you an ID. The, the, the notion that we should just let people vote without identification is so preposterous. You can't get a COVID shot without a vaccine. The, the, the black community's not making a stink about that. They're not saying, oh, this is COVID oppression. Nope, you have to show your ID. To get a shot. Not a word. Not a word about that. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm rambling. But here, listen to She-Jack uh, talk about how bad Texas is and has the worst uh, voting laws in the entire universe. So what I'm saying to you now is Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas that has the worst voting rights, voting laws that deprives those Texans of voting in the nation. Texas is the worst vote to worst state to vote in Easy for you in the to entire say. nation. And so I'm empowered in the spirit of Barbara Jordan and Mickey Leland, who held this seat before me. I'm empowered by their spirit. And I hope that I am driving forward all of you to be able to say that in this book that John Lewis provided in his last days, he offered messages of conscience. Do you do something because it is consciously right? He offered messages of justice. Do you not step back when justice is being trampled on? He offered messages of dealing with courage. Is there courage here? Is there courage out there? Something is happening in America. Something that we are got to overcome. Something in healthcare. Something in COVID-19. Something in Delta. Something in justice. Okay, okay, okay. I can't handle much more of her. But this woman, I truly think that she, she despises white people. I, I really do. I think that she is racist. And that's just my opinion. We don't have to agree. You can hear the anger in her voice. She's always fired up. She's always mad about something. Somebody trying to hold her down. Not going to hold us down. What did Joe Biden say? They want to put y'all back in chains. Was that, was that Biden or was that? I think it was Joe Biden. Let me look. Hang on. Look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Trump or, or anyone else that wasn't a Democrat got up in front of a black audience and <laughs> told them that, that their opponent was going to put them back in chains? How ridiculous, Joe. How ridiculous. The guy doesn't know what he says half the time, especially now. Okay. Anyway, there's where we are. We have done a complete flip-flop. The Democrats used to want to control the border. They used to want immigration to, to be controlled. And now it's just the opposite. They want everyone to be able to come through. 
what's the reasoning? What's the motivation? There's something driving this, I suspect, is because their voting base is dwindling, right? If they're shifting further and further to the left, eventually they're going to run out of voters because the Democrat Party used to encompass the blue-collar worker, the plant guy, the dude who wore coveralls to work every day. My Uncle Tony's a perfect example. Aunt Ruth and Uncle Tony... I remember talking to Aunt Ruth about Barbara Jordan. She said, oh, me and Tony, we, it was our, she was our favorite congresswoman. Yeah, exactly, because your values aligned with her. And that's what the Democrat Party used to be, the party of hardworking, blue-collar guy, the plant worker, the steel worker. They've abandoned those people. They've gone so far that now they're just scraping for people who can't figure out how to get IDs to vote. When used to, that was just the tail. That was the outside portion of the bell curve of their voting base. And here they are now letting people come in the country as fast as they can, not wanting IDs to vote so that whoever can vote can vote. And there's no way to know if they're illegal, legal. One of Wojtek's buddies from Poland living in Las Vegas right now, not a citizen, hasn't applied for citizenship, by no means should be voting. Received a voting ballot in the mail, pre-printed with his name on it, that he was supposed to fill out and mail back in. This was for the last presidential election. I told him, I said, man, send me that. L let me have that. Let me take a picture of it. No, no, he don't want to get in trouble. He's here. He's working. He doesn't want to cause waves. He doesn't want to get sent home. I get it. But I don't think these people are making this stuff up. Okay, that's that. Moving right along, still staying in the area of politics. I know you might not want to hear it, but just, just bear with me here. I'm going to play two clips. Okay, the first one is Joe Biden from 1974. I'm not really focused on what the content of, of what he's saying. I want you to listen to how he speaks and the eloquence and the cadence and the cognitive alignment. I want to I play this for you, and then I'm going to play one from today. And I want you just to tell it, just to formulate your own opinion. I feel like that the, the proof is in the pudding, and we all know he eats lots of pudding. So just take, take a listen real quick, and uh, I, this is just it's proof that his mind is gone. And, and, and if you disagree with that, we'll have to disagree, you know, because this is the proof. Well, I wonder whether you would feel that there's some virtue in forcing this candidates Biden. This to go out and try to raise money. I've heard people, probably people who didn't run for office, say that it's uplifting to go out and try to get money. Do you think that there's something unuplifting about putting a limit to how much you can ask one man to give you? I think it's the most degrading experience in the world to have to go out and ask for money because you know that unless you accidentally agree with the position taken by the person or group that has the money, that you run the risk of deciding whether or not you're going to prostitute yourself to give the answer you know they want to hear in order to get funded to run for that office. And uh, it's coincidental in many instances uh, when in fact you happen to agree with where they are. And you run the risk, by the way, of rationalizing, of saying, well, if I compromise on this one, give him one, I get 90% of what I want, and I don't have to give in too much. So you feel it's... So it makes perfect sense. Well-spoken. You could tell he was thinking, he was processing. It, the, the, everything that he said made sense. It all lines up, okay? Now, let's listen to today's clips. They pay taxes just like typical hard-working Americans do right now. We're going to use the money we collect from the tax cuts... What? Give tax cuts to middle class families. So that's it. I mean, I'm not going to go play a bunch of clips. You, you guys know, like he's, he's in mental decline. I've talked about it all the time, and it, it's just, it's so sad that that that's who we picked as the leader of our country, not the parliamentarian head of state, not someone to to represent us, you know, just just in foreign affairs, but the entire leader. This guy's supposed to be the the man leading us into battle getting us out of battle. And here's what's most concerning or, or waves a red flag is that he openly admits to being told things by people, what to do, what to ask, what to say. And, and I understand that presidents probably get advised on how to handle things from their PR person, but I think a true leader will, will handle things the way he wants to and maybe take some advice from someone here or there, but he definitely wouldn't get up in the public's eye and say, they, they told me this and they told me that. It's always they told me and they said and they instructed me. And I have one question. Who is they? Who, who are these people that are actually running the country and telling you what to say and telling you what to do and telling you how to act and telling you not to answer questions because you cannot do it? I would like to hear that conversation. Uh, Mr. President, we just think it, uh, it would be best if you not answer questions after the press conference but uh, I, I think that the people need to know what was going on 
Uh, sorry, Mr. President, we're just on a we're on a tight schedule, so just kind of just kind of hurry on out of there, you know. But I would love to hear that kind of stuff. So just just listen. Here's a, here's him admitting that they they whoever they are gave him a list of people to call on at a press conference. Ladies and gentlemen, they gave me a list here. They gave me a list here. The first person I was instructed to call on was. Kelly O'Donnell, NBC. The first person I was instructed to call on. Wow. Wow. You don't think that Miss Kelly was told what to ask? And, and or maybe she relayed what she was going to ask to the, to the Biden team? Man, this is, uh, this is dis, disheartening to me to know that this is where our country is. Republican, Democrat, I don't care. It doesn't matter who's in office. If they're this guy, if this guy's who we're picking, we got big problems, guys. I'm not even kidding. We have huge problems, and it's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. Okay, enough doom and gloom about sliding Biden. Oh, slurry. Oh, slurry Joe. Uh, there's some speculation that he won't make it to the end of his pre- <laughs> I almost said pregnancy. Presidency. We'll see what happens. I'm sure there's some pretty good odds and some death pools, but I'm going to leave that alone for now. I'm going to touch on what I have titled on my notes is the iced tea debacle. So, you know, people always say, your customer's always right. Yes, your customer's always right. You got to do whatever the customer says. I disagree with that in some aspect, and I kind of agree with it in other aspects. I disagree with it, and I know I've touched on this before, when they have a customer who's mad and wants to complain just because they're mad and they want to complain. They're not always right. And I think it's the job of a business owner to stand up to, to the, the, that behavior. Listen to me, I sound like Biden. To stand up to that behavior and show their employees that they have their back. And there's other times where you have to listen to your customers if they give you constructive criticism where they say, hey, just want to let you know there's no toilet paper in the bathroom. Awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I appreciate it. We'll get toilet paper in the bathroom. Hey, just so you know, there's no more pickles on the pickle bar. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. We're going to get some pickles out there. And sometimes it's things that you don't want to do, but you have to do it because you got to stay in business or you want to grow your revenue. In this particular case, I'm talking about iced tea. You know, we opened as a brewery. Our goal was to produce and sell beer. We didn't want to make small batches of beer. We didn't want to make a new flavor every week. We wanted to make the favorite kinds of beers that we like in large quantities. Kale, my business partner, and I were both, uh, were both efficiency-oriented, and we both like improving production and increasing efficiency and figuring out how to do more for less. You know, that's kind of what we both thrive on. So we had envisioned the brewery, you know, going into what's called a production brewery, where you're mainly focused on producing beer, getting it out there. Unfortunately, you're at the beginning phase of this. You have to open up your tap room, basically a beer bar, and let people come and buy beer because you can capitalize on the margins that you make. The price between what it costs to make a beer and what you're selling a beer is huge. It's a big gap. So you get get to keep all those profits while you're growing geographically. Well, COVID comes along. Uh, the science proves that if you're sitting down with your mask off, you're fine. So opened a restaurant. We started doing food so that no one would get COVID because if you serve food, people sit, no COVID. If you stand up, you weren't allowed to be open. You could only sell beer to go. Naturally, we pivoted, did what we had to do. Now we're pretty much a full-fledged barbecue restaurant. I would say the style would be like fast casual where you don't, you're not getting waited on in the typical barbecue restaurant fashion. You wait on your line, you place your order. The difference between us and most places that we don't have a buffet, we just bring it out. Well, a lot of people come and, and, you know, we never had an ice machine because we were a brewery who made beer. You don't need ice for your beer. So we never had an ice machine. So in order to satisfy the drink orders for the, for the barbecue portion, we got a big Coca-Cola refrigerator with a glass door and whatever people wanted to drink they would just pull out a bottle whether it was iced tea coke sprite dr pepper whatever well we get a lot of people that are asking for ice and they our response is nope we don't have ice we're a brewery but we have bottled tea what kind of place is a barbecue place doesn't have iced tea or sweet tea well we have sweet tea it's in a bottle but i mean the kind of that you make it yourself well well i mean guys we're not a barbecue place we're a brewery we served barbecue because it worked for us during COVID, and we just kept doing it. Well, I just don't know what kind of barbecue restaurant don't have sweet tea. Okay, okay. We're going to start doing sweet tea. So this is when you have to keep your customers happy. If people are willing to not come eat your barbecue because you don't have iced tea with ice, then you get ice and you make your tea. We'll make way more money on that iced tea than we ever made on the bottled iced tea. So 
That's fine. We'll do it. So last week, I set out to order all the equipment. Most people have no idea. Like, oh, it's simple. Just make tea. No, it's not simple. If you've never owned a restaurant or managed one, you don't know what all goes into it. You have to order a big commercial industrial iced tea maker. It's got to make so many gallons per hour. You got to have an ice maker. Ice has to make, you have to figure out how many gallons or sorry, pounds of ice you need. How many cups of iced tea are you going to sell? Who knows? Well, we got to get a big ice maker. How are you going to get the ice in the cups? Well, now you got to have an ice dispenser. So all in <laughs> to serve iced tea, about a four or $5,000 investment. But you know what? The people that come in and they whine about it, they have no clue. They don't understand that we're, we're struggling to stay in business, but they demand their iced tea. So we had two choices. Either we deny them their beloved iced tea, or we scramble and we buy all the equipment, everything we need. You got to do plumbing, got to do electrical work. You got to have stuff set out where to put the tea. What about lemons? You got to cut lemons every day. You got to make the tea. You got to have stored tea. So that when you run out of tea, you've got more without having to make it. So it's a complicated process when you're serving, you know, a few hundred people a day. I've never been in the restaurant business, but we're figuring it out. All that to, to tell you the story of, I started calling around looking for iced tea machines. Well, I found the model that I want. I did my research, typical Brando fashion. I researched it to death, identified the model that I wanted, came up with a plan, ordered it. I get an email back the next day. Sorry, they're back ordered. It'll be uh, October 20th before we can ship it. Well, that's not going to work. So I called the manufacturer of the, of the iced tea maker who was going to drop ship it, right? So they were going to send it from their warehouse straight to me. But I paid an intermediary in the middle, Webstaurant store, some store who sells restaurant equipment to restaurants. So I paid them for it. They said it's back order until October 20th. Pick up the phone, call the manufacturer, get in touch with the sales guy. I said, hey, do you know where any more of these things are? We need them. We need one. We need four containers. He said, man, it sucks. These things are sitting on a train car that cannot get unloaded. And the only estimate they're getting from the rail yard is that, well, we hope to have them unloaded by mid-October. So here they are trying to figure out how to manage their customers. Everyone's getting mad. They're trying to order these things. They can't fill the orders. This is becoming the common story. This is not a one-off thing. This is happening all across the country. Cars aren't being made. Production is backed up everywhere. Prices have gone up. And everyone wants to blame COVID. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. It's not COVID that, that caused this. It's the way that we reacted to it. It's the knee-jerk reaction of, let's just shut everything down. Let's just close everything. Because politicians who have never run businesses and they don't understand the way that inventory works and the way that stock works and back stock and production orders and lead times, they don't understand how that works. So in their mind, which <laughs> I even saw or heard someone say this, like, I don't understand like, why we just can't push pause and just stop the economy and then just start it back again. Yeah, right. I know. I know you don't understand those types of things, but you have to just trust the people who do. It's like taking a train. It's going full speed and you stop it. What happens? All the cars just back up and pile up together because it, it, you can't just stop. It, think of it like a, it's a big, long string of train cars. And when you stop it instantly, everything backs up and people are scrambling, trying to get things cleaned up. And then you're like, okay, start. Okay, start again. Go now. Well, think about how long it takes for a train to get going. It's extremely inefficient. It burns tons of energy. If, if trains ran full speed at what it takes for them to start, it, the numbers wouldn't work. So it's very, very inefficient. It's sluggish to get things going. When you stop them, you have to get them going again. And so this stopping and starting and stopping and starting is just brutal on the way that our economy works. And I'm not just talking about the U.S. I'm talking about the rest of the world. It's the reaction to COVID that we're dealing with. And then from day one, I'd like to remind you guys but I said, it's not the virus that's going to kill us. It's the damage that's going to do to our economy. Biden likes to brag that the economy is doing better under him than it ever did under Trump. Okay, bro. I'm not going to give you a lesson on economics. I'm just going to say, okay, let's just see how this goes. Because I don't think we've seen the worst of our economic problems yet. I know everybody thinks I'm always doom and gloom. The market's going to crash. Everyone's going to be broke. But I really do feel like it's coming. I don't know when. feel like it's coming. <laughs> even a broken clock is right twice a day. So I'm just going to keep saying it until it happens. And then I can say, well, I told you. I looked at the, the curve, the parabolic curve that the S&P is making right now. And if you're not familiar with, with the graphs and charts, think of it like a hockey stick. If you were to lay a hockey stick down and it's flat, and then all of a sudden it curves and goes straight up, that's what the S&P 500 is doing right now. And if you go back and you look in history, every single time that's happened, it's come down. Because that you can't sustain parabolic growth. 
You just can't do it. And nowhere in nature, in humanity, in behavior, it doesn't last. And it's not going to last. So, oh, slurry face and get up there and say he's done great things for the economy. I don't, he, I don't think he could name one policy that he's enacted that would attribute to the growth of the economy. But that's probably over his head. So, back to my point. Hopefully, we'll get an iced tea maker in the next week or so. I don't know where. I don't know how. But we'll pull it off. We'll figure something out. Because that's what we do. We're Americans. We sort it out. We keep going. And everyone hates us. It's just how it goes. I'm already at 50 minutes. I didn't plan on going this long. Now, when you hear it, it won't be that long because I, I chop out some stuff. But I'm already at 50 minutes, so I, I'm going to save my next two points for next week. And one of those points is my opinion about this ivermectin argument that everyone's screaming about. And then I need to update you guys on the, the, the broken truck rodeo that's happening. Basically, everyone around me has a broken truck, so they're using my truck. Either way... That's going to do it for today's show. I hope you don't get sick of my rants. I know, I know that sounds like I'm always pissed off and, and emotional and my voice goes up at a couple octaves. But I really do feel upset when I talk about these things. Overall, it doesn't affect my overall happiness. I'm not the kind of guy that walks around and just bitches about everything all the time. I just come here every week to get it off my chest. That's what I do. People who know me know my stance on everything. It's no secret. But I like to explain things here. And, and like I always say, I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. If you're civil, we can be friends. It doesn't matter if you think that Biden's the greatest leader in the face of the earth and he could march us into battle and, and fix our economy and fix the virus and fix everything. You're entitled to your opinion. We can have some great discussions about it. It doesn't change how I feel about you. I feel like social media is taking away the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. It's becoming harder and harder. People, people are becoming more passionate about their viewpoints and more emotional. And that's because they can surround themselves with people who wave pom-poms and cheer for each other. And they're addicted to the feeling of arguing with someone on social media. I've recently just gone straight troll. I just mess with people. I picture people getting all worked up and typing as fast as they can. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'll say whatever I can to make them do that. I think it's funny to me. I like to push buttons. So what? So if you see my comments on Instagram and you don't know why the heck I'm saying that, chances are I'm just poking somebody. I'm just messing with them. I don't know why. <laughs> I've always liked the idea of messing with people a little bit. I kind of like pranks. I like to trick people. All in good fun. All in good fun. Am I adding fuel to the fire? Probably not enough to make a difference. But if I post something and it's kind of confusing, just know it's probably a joke. Okay, what a long show today. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Tell a friend, share it. If I don't get some more listeners, I'm just going to end it. So what, what good does it do for me to sit here? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to end this thing. I'm not effing leaving. I'm going to keep doing this. One day it might come back and bite me in the butt. If I run for a political office and they pull some of these clips, uh, I may have some explaining to do. But you know what? I'm going to be myself. I'm all about transparency. I think the biggest problem we have in politics is that people are not transparent. They don't say what they think. They say what they think people want to hear. And if we could all get back to saying what you think, then we could accurately elect leaders. We could pick and choose people based on how they feel and their viewpoints and what they've done in their life and not what they sit here and say and then go get paid by lobbyists to, to write bills that suits the lobbyists. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Be brave. Share your opinions with people. Be respectful. Learn how to disagree with people and still be friends with them, buy some cryptocurrency, invest your money, save for the future, because we don't know what it holds. See you back next week. BH out. Well, it's that grain gripper from Houston, takes that bar, sip it at bar, no flex. I'm straight up out of that Swisher house with g ass right out of check, so check the neck. Check the wrist, I'm ballin' status from head to toe. My jewelry shop sell more grills than George Foreman, baby, now you know. That ain't an igloo, that's my watch, and that ain't snow, baby, that's my chain. That's not an ice tray, that's my teeth, and that's not a snow cone, that's my rain. That ain't Kool-Aid up in my cup, I stay sippin' that paper oil. I stay flippin' and slab on foes, cause I'm a hustle till I'm in the soil. My wrist game is one of a kind, petty Philippe work for 100K. My work schedule out on the block, it's mash out night and grind all day. No 401K for a hustler, just bleed the block and Stack that paper, MOB when it come to hoes and a 40 cal when it come to haters. We authentic players, not counterfeit. Got a 600 bins with a foul kit. Got hoes at the HK turning tricks. Out running the track, trying to make me rich. I'm too legit to quit. Stacking up that paper till I'm gone. So I'ma be working with wheel and catching splinters. Riding 20 inches up better than a chrome. I chunk up the dude.
news for the south and the north. Boys talking down and boys wanna hate. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, don't make me pull out like the chopper. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, I leave them on the streets dead. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, I got them diamonds in my mouth. Houston, Texas, got the streets burning. Popping seals with them foes turning. Rookie boys, they still learning. Losing cash, I'm still earning. Get my bread while I shake the fed. Keep them dimes in and out my bed. Jump in the drive, take a verse and top and let them bop on candy red. Leather seats with that wood out. They don't know what my hood bought. Trying to take the young gun spot. I'm platinum ball and still hot. Haters off in my mix again. Pimping bras plus pimping pins. Multiplying, I gotta win. Keep that ice looking clear again. Out the roof, still chunking deuce. Riding slab and hopping juice. Diamond grill with plenty of skill. Just pass the mic and I let it loose. Independent still chasing bucks. 22s on Porsche trucks. Model chicks with them big old butts. Killer clans with them big old nuts. Hit the club with my game tight. Hoes bopping my fame bright. Did a thing the same night. Boys talking, it's all hype. Cut the check when I run my mouth. Roll the green like I'm playing golf. Texas boys be going out. Representing the north and south. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down and boys wanna hate. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, don't make me pull out like the chopper. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, I leave them on the streets dead. I chunk up the deuce for the south and the north. Boys talking down, I got them diamonds in my mouth. I'm from Port Arthur, Texas, represented till I'm dead. Pippin' almost died in the 80s, boys were scared. Bitches was on crack and the legs wasn't rolling, but the game done been revived, cause now the south side is holding. Pockets stay swollen, what do we do with all the cash? Drive 84 for wrist with TV jumping up out the jazz. Filter in the stash, even though I'm on parole. Nigga, try me with that fuck shit, bitch, I leave your body cold. From the land of grain, pick the paint, paint, in the corner grill, it's Texas, baby. Huh. Baby, South, South. PAT, you know we real. We packing K's, there's it is. ARs and them 38s, we serving nothing but China White. Player, we don't sell that dirty weight. Big bun beater, hold it down. down. Rep the town to the fullest. Full. Whether it be on the mic or in them streets, but send them bullets. Bullet. Don't pull it with me. with me. I won't pull it on you and leave you ventilated. UGK is back on the block and you marks is thin. I hate it. I chunk up the deuce for the South and the North. Boys talking down and boys wanna hate. I chunk up the deuce for the South and the North. Boys talking down, don't make me pull out like the chopper. I chunk up the deuce for the South and the North. Boys talking down, I leave them on the streets dead. I chunk up the deuce for the South and the North. Boys talking down, I got them diamonds in my mouth.